Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. My name is Michael. And sometimes the only way forward is to go back. And with that in mind, we are bringing back faculty meetings. The original show, though it actually was called Dungeon Talk and then it was called Table Topics, but still, faculty meetings, the original show from the RPG Academy uh, are often missed, well-loved program where myself and a co-host come on and we talk about stuff related to the RPG world. And introducing my third faculty meeting co-host, you know him, you love him. Say hi to Tom. Tom, say hello. It's Tom. Yeah, I'm here. I'm ready to do some faculty meeting. Let's get this thing. Let's get this thing going again, Michael. Let's do it. So just very quickly, faculty meetings, the idea here is that Oh, God, I forgot the whole spiel I used to say 139 it's been, times. It's been that long. It has been that long. So the idea between the, behind the faculty meetings is that we bring on a get, or Tom and I are going to talk about role-playing games, and we hope that somewhere in this conversation there will be something that you can pull out that you'll be able to use at your table. That said, maybe I think you said, that said, we do believe here at the RPG Academy that, uh, I'm just going now, Michael, I'm going, that, uh, remember, we like to live by our motto, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So no matter what game you play, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your people, your friends at the table are having a good time, then you're doing it right. That's right. So with that out of the way, very quickly, Tom, tell everybody what your uh, Twitter handle is or your social media where people can find you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like, as I like to say, you can follow me at BezcarTom on Twitter. That's Mandalorian Metal Tom on Twitter, where I talk about comic books, RPGs, and everything in between. And then also on Twitch, uh, streaming Ghost of Salt Marsh. Yay! Uh, again, I'm yes. Michael at the RPG Academy. So with that out of the way, in the new version of faculty meetings, we're going to start by talking about RPG news. So these are just a couple quick hit things that are top of mind or fresh, you know, straight from the bulletin board material. Tom, you go first. What do we yeah. want to talk about? Yeah, so I really want to do this because I I just, I doom scroll Twitter so much, reading all sorts of information. I figure, you know, we might as well just talk about some of the stuff we're reading about. Uh, but, you know, before we even get into that, let's talk about some RPG Academy news. I think first and foremost, we have hit 500 followers on Twitch. Oh, that's right. We have finally given away our uh, D&D rules cyclopedia that we've been trying to give away since I joined the Academy uh, several years ago. So it's it's this is a great milestone. We hopefully will be doing another giveaway at 600 followers. So if you don't follow us, uh, go ahead and find us on Twitch at the RPG Academy where you can catch Michael streaming all sorts of stuff, video games, mini painting now, and I do our uh, uh, Ghost of Saltmarsh stuff and Michael does the Shadow Spawns. And we also have live detentions every other week. So there's more and more stuff coming out on Twitch. Now, there is often audio-only versions of this stuff. So if you're just a regular podcast listener, you're still getting most of this content. But it still is very, very helpful if you will follow us on Twitch. And I will throw this out. If you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, you can give us a free subscription. You're already paying for it by being an Amazon Prime subscriber. Uh, subscription holder so there's no extra cost to you but we actually will get a subscription to our channel which actually gives us money so yeah. it's a it's another way to to pay us or to help support what we do monetarily without actually costing you anything if you have an amazon prime uh, membership you get i think one every it's few one. months yep. you can give away and it just basically it's just a bonus that you can do it doesn't cost you anything extra 
Yeah, it, it's super cool. Uh, and then the next thing, uh, Michael, you've been kind of sharing some bits and pieces around on Twitter and Discord, but uh, you've got some big news. What's that? I am going to be launching my own RPG called Action 12 Cinema. And this is a really improv-heavy, rules-like game, hopefully telling some melodramatic to silly B-level action movie shenanigans. The type of movies I grew up watching as a kid on like WGN, TNT, TBS, Joe Bob Briggs monster movie marathons on Friday nights, all those types of things. And I've actually hired a project manager, so this is a real thing. The current plan is for this to happen later this year on Kickstarter, but there is a chance it could move into next year. It just depends on how things are going. But it's a game. It's fun. People can play it. And right behind me now virtually is the initial sketch of the of the cover, and it looks freaking amazing. So I'm super excited about all of this. It's a good cover. When I saw it, I was like, no, that's not the cover. There's no way. Okay, Michael's taking this thing seriously, I see. Okay. Uh, no, it's super cool. I'm super excited for it. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, I guess, uh, do anything else uh, RPG Academy related, Michael, we want to talk about? Any Academy, anything yeah. like that? It wouldn't be a faculty meeting without at least some mention of Academy. Yeah. As of right now, we were recording this on March 11th. I have my first shot of the vaccine. I'm scheduled for my second. Things are starting to look up in terms of the number of cases out there. My wife works in the health care field, so I get some information from her. And I, you know, I look at the numbers with her. But we're still not where we need to be. So just yesterday, I sent out a tweet uh, through the Acaticon Twitter. I posted it at the Kickstarters. I posted it on Facebook, I believe. But I'm trying to get a, just sort of a straw poll of how people are feeling right now about us actually having an event, IRL, in real life, this November. And right now, we're sitting at over 100 people have voted. And it's like 60-40, more like 57-43, which I'm happy that we're in, leaning towards, yes, people will attend. But if we're only having half the people show up, then, then we're going to have to change the way we organize. Because if I, if we do everything we did before and we get half the people, that would be a disaster. Uh, so we still might have the event, but we might have to, you know, like draw it back a little bit. It may look different. Right. We're not making any decisions today. This was just a how are we looking, how are we feeling. But probably around July, August, we are going to have to decide because if we are going to have it, we have to have time to do everything we need to do. And if we don't have it, then we're going to want to do a virtual uh, version so that we're going to need time either way. So we're probably two months, two and a half months out for having to make a hard decision. So right now, I'm still very hopeful, but nothing is set in stone yet. Uh, and then just a quick tease. The RPG Academy Network was something I lived for and loved for a very long time. We eventually dissolved it for very good reasons. But there's a chance it may come back in a different form. And there's still a lot to be talked about, a lot to be cited. But there is a chance that the network might be something I can say once again, and I miss it dearly. So I hope so. But with that out of the way, let's move on to non-RPG Academy news yeah. and the RPG RPG news in general. Tom, what do you have for me? Yeah, so I think uh, really quickly, a lot of you all may have heard, man, there was a massive Kickstarter for the One Ring. Uh, I just wanted to bring this up. I guess it, it was so it was the second second most funded RPG on Kickstarter ever, right behind Matt Colville's uh, first book. So I, this is obviously, it's a free league game. It's, it's always cool when you're seeing other companies make a uh, I mean, what big money just to kind of, it's always great when you have 
lots of competitors in the industry. So to see somebody else who's kind of free, free league's really been coming up through the ranks lately. Uh, I mean, there's this whole conversation about is Kickstarter the right medium to do that. I'm not a business person or RPG project manager or anything like that. So I don't really know for sure. But I just want to point out, like, this was a huge Kickstarter for the One Ring. And I know I I, I backed it. Uh, uh, there's too much good stuff on Kickstarter. I started seeing all the good stuff in March. And I was like, dang, damn it. February was already an expensive month. Uh, looks like I'm sitting out of March. But I just wanted to, the One Ring was huge. I'm not sure, Michael, did you get a chance to look at it at all? I, I skimmed through it. I did not deep yeah. dive. I did not back it. Uh, I'm actually kind of on a Kickstarter hiatus. Um, I tried not to back anything this year. I think I've ended up backing three projects at like lower levels than I normally would, like, like PDF only. Uh, partly because I paid someone to be a project manager for Action 12 Cinema. So basically my entire Kickstarter for the year budget went to someone to help me get my game together. So I really can't afford Kickstarter right now. So I'm trying not to get it because I will. If I see it, I'll probably back it. So I'm trying to keep myself off of it a little bit. I get you there. There's just there's just so many good games right now. So I'm loving it. Nibiru just uh, just finished uh, a successful Kickstarter for their Xanadu expansion. So obviously I was in on that one. But I, yeah, I wanted to uh, bring up the One Ring. It's uh, we love Free League. It, the art is done by Martin Grip, who's the same person who did Simbarum, who we just did our Simbarum starter set review. So it's really cool art. Uh, and then a lot of the interior art is going to be done by the Forbidden Lands black and white style. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm obviously a big fan of that, too. So it's going to be I'm looking forward to this one. Plus, it's got a quick turnaround date, November uh, of this year and freely is pretty good as far as hitting those dates maybe a month or two uh plus or minus so i fully expect to have this game uh on the table this year maybe for a catacomb who knows that would be amazing <laughs> it would be amazing just a quick, quick kickstarter i actually got a shipping notification my marvel united kickstarter which i went in whole oh, hog yeah. like, like two three hundred dollars for everything last year or maybe maybe i think early last year should be coming later this month and that's the mini painting you mentioned i just started doing a stream on painting minis i'm going to be painting those minis on that stream for probably the next five years because i'm very bad very slow and there's a whole lot of them regardless of when uh the next uh catacon is i think it's safe to say that uh we are both going to be bringing uh, a lot of new stuff to play. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, the, the Catacon game library is growing. It is growing over quarantine. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Okay. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and jump into our topic. One of the things I wanted to, I, I when I went to go ask Michael about, hey, let's start faculty meetings. Uh, Michael said, hey, I think it may be a cool idea to go back and you listen to uh, the original. Uh, podcast. This is like dungeon talk. I have never listened to these at all. This is like, when did you all start? When did you all start this? So the the academy is right around ten years old. So this was be twenty eleven. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, I think I think we're we're closing in on the ten year mark. So yeah. So early or somewhere in twenty eleven, yeah. early twenty twelve is when we started. So this would be because I but dungeon talk number one was the first thing Evan and I ever sat down and recorded for the show. Yeah. So you in that episode, you all were playing a, it's a, maybe a new campaign, and at the time, Evan really wasn't a super experienced uh, dungeon master, so he was just kind of uh, asking you for advice. And then one of the things you all decided to talk about was setting challenge difficulty so this is what we want to talk about today so uh while you're playing a game how do you two things how do you 
choose how difficult something is. And then the old other can of worms is, is it okay to uh, change that difficulty? So, uh, Michael, uh, so do you, uh, what did you, back in, back in the day, uh, what would you say your original thoughts were? Let's just say on, uh, we'll go with the easy one. How do you set encounter difficulty? Like in general, I know it's a big topic, but how do you right. set encounter difficulty in an RPG? And some of it's going to be based on the game that you're playing. Each game is probably going to have some sort of mechanic that you do that. It's, you know, difficulty, how many dice you have to have or a certain number you have to exceed, that kind of thing. Uh, for the purpose of this discussion, we're going to, I'm going to couch it mostly in the D&D because mm-hmm. that's what I'm most comfortable with in 5e because that's what I'm playing now. Uh, but I know today I talk a lot about 12, 15, 18. Those are the three numbers. I tell people that's the only three numbers you need to worry about for like 90% of your D&D life. If somebody is trying to do something and you think that they should probably succeed most of the time, but you want there to be a chance of failure, set it at 12. If you think this is something that's like, maybe they will, maybe they won't, it goes either way, 15. And then if you think it's something that maybe they shouldn't pass, but a few of them might, or they might if they roll really well, then it's 18. And those are just the three numbers that I would use almost all the time. If I'm going to set a DC less than 12 these days, I just don't even... I just, okay. It just happens. So if I'm going to say it's 11, I just so no, you can just do that for free. We don't even have to worry about it. Just tell me what it looks like. Uh, but I think beyond that, if I remember correctly, I may be jumping ahead. You can obviously continue on. But I think one of the things that Evan was doing that we were talking about is that he would change the DC yeah. depending on who was rolling. And I'm like, do not do that. Yes. Yeah, no, that is absolutely uh, what he was talking about doing. He wasn't he, – I don't think he was r- really realizing – uh, what he was, what he was doing. So, uh, so you're saying then, so what is, what's so important then about having that static, uh, would you say static difficulty across the board? Within the fiction of the world, the difficulty number is how hard this is just for everyone. And so if I'm someone who's trained at this, like, again, picking the lock, I think might have been the example we used. I have not listened to these for quite some time, so I'm vaguely familiar because obviously it was me talking, but you've listened to them recently. I think we use the example of, like, picking a lock. Yep. If there's a lock, and I, as the DM, say this is a 12, this is a lock that's not super hard to pick. If you've got any talent at all, you should probably be able to pick it, but you might mess up and not be able to pick it. So I'm going to set it at 12. If my character is the rogue, it's going to be easier for me because I probably have a high dexterity. I may have training in picking locks. I may have tool proficiencies. I'm going to have bonuses. That's going to make it easier for me to get that 12 or higher. And what Evan was doing is he would go, oh, I want it to be a 12. But if Michael has bonuses, I'm going to make it 15. Because I want him to have the same chance of opening lock as Nico's character would. Or other Rob's character would. Which is not how the game is supposed to work. Because he can create this paradox where let's say Rob and I both have a lock that should be 12, but Evan makes uh, my lock 15 because I'm a rogue. The Rob could roll a, a 12 and pick his lock. I could roll a 14 and not pick mine. We could switch locks and then the same thing happened. And so it creates this weird paradox where my number should do something, but it doesn't. And someone else's number shouldn't do something, but it does. And you know this is getting way into the theory of the weeds, but when you set the DC... Set of it as like the average, mm-hmm. and then the game has other mechanics to to modify that average for each character. If someone's really bad at picking locks, then it'll be harder for them 
anyway because they don't have the right stats or they don't have the right tools or proficiencies. If someone's trained at that, it should be easier, but you're setting the DC for an average person, not an individual character. At least that's my belief. I don't think you should do that. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah, no, absolutely. You want it to be at the same, so that way you have a consistent world. Like, the 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 rules, not the like the game rules, but the rules of the world and the rules of the fiction. It's still, like, gravity, and I mean, this is nobody, I mean, very few games deal with gravity. But when you're jumping across a pit, the way I look at it, and I, I'm a little different. I don't, you do 12, 15, and 18. Uh, me being loving round numbers i'm like i don't know if this is balanced or at all i'm like 10 15 20 all right mm. so uh and it I, i'm not gonna lie thinking about it it's probably not <laughs> it's 12 18 uh 12 15 18 sounds better uh but if i've got a chasm the way i kind of look at it is it's either it's if it's a small ditch it's 10 if it's a it's in between two buildings it's 15 and that if it's like a canyon like so this is like impossible without like some crazy feat of strength that's a that's a that's a 20 all right so very similar like you got to keep it the same uh across the board uh but i guess what i really wanted to ask you about too in the whole idea of setting dcs you say you've got this 12 15 18 back when i first started uh being a dungeon master i was so meticulous in my prep and I think a lot of new DMs are because you're so you're afraid of what are the players going to do? Right. Is the game going to be good? Is everybody going to have fun? And so what I would do is I would try to think about everything that could possibly happen. And then I would write down like, oh, this DC is going to be this and this DC is going to be that. And then as I've as I've played more and got more experience, I really don't prep any of that. And when I get to the moment of uh, they're trying to pick this lock, I think about, oh, how old is this door? It's a, okay, it's a 10. All right. I don't know about you. How much prep, if you're running Dungeons and Dragons, how much prep do you do as far as like setting your DCs then? Never. Okay. I, 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 I well, I, I won't say never. I will say almost never do I think before the game, this is what this DC will be when they get there. Cause it all just depends on, because I don't even know that they're going to come to a door or a chasm. Like, who knows if we'll ever get there. So I will make that up in the moment, which is where my 12-15 rule kind of comes from. Because I'm just going to pick one of those three numbers, no matter what's happening. Mm -hmm. So e either it's so easy, I don't make them roll. It's so hard, I tell them there's no point in rolling. Or it's 12-15-18. And again, that's not going to work for everyone forever. But it's worked for me for a very long time very well. And I, I kind of, again, I live by it. I think it's a great, especially early D&D, &D, like levels, first levels, one through five, that's perfect. Once you get a little over level five, they're going to have so many bonuses that you're probably going to want to introduce some challenges that are a little higher. But I also have that weird thing where, why is the door harder to open now than it was yesterday? Yeah. Unless, it, unless it's a magical door, then I put a magical door in there, sure. But if I can kick down a door at level one, I should be able to easily kick down a door at level five if it's the same quote unquote tavern door. So I don't modify it a whole lot. They're just going to have like the, the averages are going to move up. The, the barbarian might have a better chance of picking a lock at fifth level than they did at first, but the lock is still the same difficulty to open most of them, almost all the time. 
Yeah, I'm kind of dealing with something uh, in our Ghost of Saltmarsh game right now where my players are now level 11. Okay, we've gone from 1 to 11, and now it's getting really, really hard to challenge them. And we do a much more uh, roleplay-heavy sort of game, so I'm not introducing as many challenges, but I am doing a lot of social challenges, and whenever those come out, I feel like they always succeed so it doesn't necessarily feel like a challenge even though like this would be a 15 or an 18 but it doesn't matter they're just they're succeeding so one of the things i wanted to ask you about though is one of the comments that you made in this previous episode you you threw out this scenario of somebody giving this great big speech okay uh they they the, give the, the inspirational speech and then, then you roll a one yeah right? yeah so so with that all said let's just if somebody's given an inspirational speech and they give it at the table, so you're saying like that's you would make them roll for that. I don't know if I would make them roll for that. See, this is a this is a conundrum, and this okay. is something that depending on the day of the week or the time of the day, I might give you a different answer. I'm of two very different minds of this. The first one is what Michael probably would do most of the time. If someone actually makes a really good speech at the table, I'm just going to say that was awesome. It succeeds. You get what you want or whatever the case may be. Or, you know, or if there's a role later, you're going to have really high bonuses to it. The, the other side of me is the person who runs a lot of convention games and runs a lot of one shots with random people. And I don't yet know all these people very well. And if I have someone at the table who is maybe awkward, maybe shy, maybe they have a stutter, and they want to play someone who's very outgoing and charismatic, the mechanics will let them. Because they can just say, I make a rousing speech. I rolled a 27 on my charisma check. I, I made the best speech ever. I made the Independence Day speech, right? And if I just tell people who are playing maybe the Barbarian, that that's just really good at role-playing, Jake would be a great example. If mm -hmm. Jake was playing a character who's not supposed to be charismatic... But Jake being charismatic and funny and entertaining and quick-witted can get almost like basically he's min-maxing because mm -hmm. he can put all of his stats into physical stats and then rely on uh, Jake's natural yes. attributes to succeed. Then that's not fair to other players yeah. who can't do that. So it's the thing where if I'm playing with my own group of players and I have a Jake and I want Jake to be Jake because it's fun for everyone mm -hmm. when that happens, then I'm absolutely going to let him get away with stuff that at a con game, I'd be like, okay, well, we need to roll that because I don't want anyone else at the table to feel like, well, crap, I, I wanted to be that person, but I can't actually do that. So it's sort of those things where a positive reinforcement can actually become a negative factor for other people. You know, it's like, well, I don't get to to not roll. I have to roll, but I'm the one who's supposed to be good at this. So it, it's it's really dependent on the situation, my mood, how great of a speech it was. If I'm cracking up, I may just let it go by, even though in my head, I'm like, wait, I should have him roll for that. So I can see it both ways, depending on the situation, if I if that makes any sense to you. It, it does. Uh, one of the things that I've kind of had to train myself to do, and I don't know if this will work for everybody, so I want to tell you, this is kind of what I have started doing. So if somebody, if I know that somebody is about to do, give a good speech, and this is really, it's kind of hard at a convention because you don't know like your players all the time. So what I will typically do, if I know that one of my players is about to do something before I let them role play it, all right, I'm going to ask for them to do the role. So basically, 
before they give the speech or before they go do this super cool move and take out all of these guards, I make them roll for it first. And then if they succeed, then I kind of turn over the table to them and I ask them, like, what does this look like? Tell, And then they kind of go into it. The problem with that is you can break the flow at the table. Uh, like everybody's kind of in the moment and then all of a sudden you stop everything. You're like, okay, roll. Okay, you're good. Okay, now you get to do what you want to do. It's definitely helped as far as I have uh, prevented those moments at the table that are just gut-wrenching when somebody does something super cool and then they roll for it and then it's bad. But I've prevented that. Uh, but I wonder, what do you think as far as catching people before they before they go ahead and do their big grandiose role play? So that is something I've also talked about. I don't, maybe I didn't in that particular episode, but I know I have in the past given that exact same advice because then you can lean into the fun of failure. Mm -hmm. So again, we take Jake, for example, we say, oh, Jake, you just rolled a one that you're going to give the worst possible speech. When you're done with this speech, you're going to have people fleeing from your army rather than rousing to, you know, to go fight this battle. You're going to have deserters. Give me that speech. And I think mm-hmm. that would be fun for a lot of players who really enjoy that. They get to give the intentional bad speech. That can be fun. But absolutely, it could mess up the flow of the table. So I think it's it's going to be a table-dependent situation, but I think that is a completely fine uh, version. What I think I would say now, which I don't think I have before, would be to do it as it flows. Let the player give that speech. And if they give a really good speech, have them roll, but set a minimum threshold. Like you did an amazing speech. Oh, okay. So even though you, you know, you're going to roll anything less than a 10 is a 10. So like no matter how bad you roll, you're at least getting the middle result. So you could still get a, like a 20. You could do this like really great thing, but I'm going to make sure that the floor is here. Um, Michael says, holding his hand up on an audio only podcast, Yeah. but your ceiling is still up here. He says, raising his hand above his head. Does that make sense? It does. And so this is a good time to talk about some different types of... We've been talking about D&D, uh, and I know, know that's your primary game. We, we, we play a lot of different games, too. So that whole idea of a floor, this is very similar to a like a single success sort of system. So the those type of games that I think of, and I kind of, is any of the Mutant Year Zero games, so your Forbidden Lands, your Tales from the Loop, your Alien RPG by Free League, and then you can even throw in like Fate in there, where typically you only need to get one success, and then the more successes you roll is just how much better right. you did. So a lot of times when your D&D is, to me, a... When I've played it, it's been very combat-focused. We do a lot of combat stuff, and that's kind of what people like about it. And when you get into these very strange, obtuse role-playing, kind of role-playing sort of games, uh, I found that the single-success systems have just worked a lot better for me because it's less I have to track as a a DM. It's like I'm not tracking. uh, Is is this a 12, 15, or or whatever, an 18? It's just like my players ask, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Can I do this? I'm like, sure, go ahead and roll your dice. Oh, you rolled a success. You succeed. So there's no real, there's no real uh, gradations there. It's very static. So I don't know if you have any, any thoughts about uh, the, the different types of systems. The other types of systems obviously are the, the other type of, are the D20 roll under system where you have Play, that's another player focus sort of system where you have a static number and you roll a dice or and if you roll under your score, 
then you succeed. So I said D20 roll under, but there's also Call of Cthulhu, which is a percentile right. roll under. Uh, so whereas that, it's less for the dungeon master, game master to track, and the players then can then see it see it right there in front of them. Yeah, I, I do like those aspects, and I don't know if this is specifically the avenue you were taking, where the players know if they succeed before they ask me. Like okay. They, they don't have to, I, I call it like the, the mother may I version of like, can I jump the pit? Sure, roll. I got a 15. Okay, yeah, you passed. And, you know, see, so it goes back and forth. Where in those types of systems, it's like, ah, I'm jumping the pit. Okay, roll. I can roll, and then I can just keep narrating. Okay. Whether my character fell in the pit or, or passed, because I already know. So you basically, you're eliminating one step of back and forth, and the player can just roll. They know if they succeed. I do like that from that aspect, which is the same reason sometimes I will tell people, like when they say, can I jump the pit? Yeah, DC is going to be 12. And I'll just tell them that, so that way they can we, we can eliminate one step. And then they can narrate success or failure because I'm a big believer in letting players do that. Yes. Uh, which is not something I probably would have talked about specifically back then. I don't know. But something else came to mind just to go back to my original thing about setting the floor, uh, a way that might be even more fun because people like to roll dice is rather than saying roll and anything less than a 10 counts as a 10, roll until you roll higher than a 10 and then that's the one that counts. So you could have someone roll. If they get a two, it doesn't become a 10. It means that one doesn't count. Roll again, roll again, roll again. So they may end up rolling four or five times, but as soon as they get a 10 or higher, that's the one that counts. So in that case, you still have a floor, but I just maybe rolling until you get higher might be more fun. I don't know. That might be something to ask the audience. Like <sighs> yeah. in that situation, which would you prefer? Would you prefer anything less than a 10 counts as a 10 plus modifiers or keep rolling until you get higher than a 10 and then that's the one that counts? With that said, then, so would you just let the player then like they're like, oh, I'm going to try to pick the lock. So they just are they you're saying that you would just let them continue to roll dice until they pick the lock? No, no, no. I'm talking about like going back to the giving an emotion, a big inspirational speech. Yeah. And they give a, a big speech at the table. That's great. And so I tell them, you did such a good job. I'm not going to let you fail this. But there's still degrees of success. Okay. So you're going to roll and like, say you roll a four, we're going to say you rolled a 10 and then you still get your modifier. So your total result of your inspirational speech can't be lower than a 10 plus modifiers. Or would it be more fun to say you did such a great job, you get to keep rolling until you at least get a 10 or higher and then we'll count that one. So picking locks would be completely different. That's just the... You know, you did such a great job at the table. I don't want to punish you by you now rolling a one situation. I was jumping all the way back to that. Gotcha. Um, so there are two things, two things that I really want to talk about that have you have you have opened the avenues through this, what you have just said. All right. But one of the things is how often to roll the dice. But before we get to that, uh, you mentioned like in these single success sort of systems, um, the player knows. All right. Mm -hmm. Technically, you can do this in Dungeons and Dragons by always telling the player the DC. All right. Well, I mentioned that. Like I said, I do yeah. that sometimes as well. If you're jumping the pit, yes, DC is 12. But I don't think that's something a lot of people do. Yeah. In fact, if you spend any time on Facebook or Reddit, you will get into some very heated conversations yes. about how you should never do that, which I don't think there's anything you should ever or never do. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's okay in certain situations, but even playing D&D, I don't do it all the time. So I have, this is, I would say it's recently, and I don't think I did this, like, I don't think I did it on purpose. If I tell my players the DC every single time, uh, so I, uh, 
So uh, last night when we were playing, when we were, we were playing Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and uh, they're trying to, Troy's going to try to throw this vampire into another vampire. And I tell him, all right, you need to get a 15. I just tell him that. And so he rolls and he knows right away. And I think it's just something that I've gradually started to do. Uh, but with that said, this is, so I do it every time. And I'm not saying that like that's the way to do it. It's just something that I've started doing. And you say you do it sometimes. But here's the thing. I can't change that difficulty no matter what anymore. So I'm not fudging. I can't fudge any numbers. So I want to ask you, Michael, then. All right. So you get into a situation. It is. What do you what do you do? Do you this? We're going to we're going to talk about changing the difficulty because you guys talked about this way back in the day. All right. right. It is plot. Uh, so something's happening. Plot dependent. All right. How will will you I don't even know how to ask this question because I kind of feel a little icky because it's just how it how these conversations go. Uh, do you what are your thoughts on changing the DC in the moment or after the player has rolled? OK, so well, a, cu- a couple things I want to touch on. Yeah. You already brought up uh, how often should you be rolling dice for me? Not very often. I, I prefer not to roll dice at all unless I have to as a player. I, I try to actively avoid rolling dice when I'm a player. Uh, as a DM, I want the dice to mean something. So I don't want to roll so much that it becomes overwhelming. But I also, some people, they build a character to do a certain thing. And it's not really fun for them if they don't ever get to do that certain thing. So it kind of depends. But for me in my home games, if I play a really role play heavy game, like I, I, we played like the, the first episode of Shadow Spawns. I think we rolled one die, like the entire, it's like an hour or three hour game. I think we might've rolled twice. I loved it. I thought that's perfect for me. So to your point, I am a very much pro fudging DM. Okay. I think it's totally cool to fudge anything and everything. As long as your players never know that you did it. That's very key to the point where sometimes you will have to have something very, very bad happen because you can't make it obvious that you're changing things. Because as soon as you do, it ruins it. Okay, it's like a magic trick. I know when I go see a magician that they can't actually do these things. These are, there's some sort of trick involved. But because I love watching magic and I get entertained, I don't care that I'm being tricked. But if I can see the trick, if I see the magician palm in the red ball, or I can see where the dove is before it comes out of the sleeve... I'm out of the show. It doesn't work for me. I feel like the demon is exactly the same thing. It's a magic trick. I'm there to entertain you. And as long as you never see the tricks, then it's as if I didn't do them. Mm -hmm. But the moment you see them, the moment I say, how many hit points do you have? 45. Oh, you take 44 points of damage. Yeah. And then someone goes, oh, wait, no, actually, I took five already. I, I was only down to 37. I go, oh, okay, actually, well, you only took 36. I've ruined it, okay? If, if that's what happens, and that has happened to me, I said 44, thinking that you had 45. Turns out you have 37. All right, you're negative seven. We're rolling some death saves. And then that character may die, even though I had planned on fudging so that they wouldn't. In that circumstance, you cannot let you can't let anybody peek behind the curtain. If they do, you've ruined it. So if you say that the DC is 15, you can't change yeah, it. Yeah, you can't change it. You cannot change it at that point. You might be able to say... Don't forget you have this this thing or like, you know, maybe there. I, I say if you miss this, you know, miss this thing, you're going to fall into the pit. You miss it. I may say, OK, you character, you get one chance to try to dive to the edge and grab them, hoping to God they that somebody else can make a good roll. But, you know, once you said it out loud, you can't let them know you're changing things. So so that I 
just wouldn't change it, even though I, even though I may have wanted to or planned on it. If you said out loud, you're stuck. Yeah. So I guess I mean it's very obvious too. Like somebody goes to do something and they roll terribly. You can't say, "Oh yeah, that yeah, you succeed." After you just can't do that. Everybody knows, like that's a bad roll. There's no way they succeed. So there's obviously that. But I guess what I want to ask then is, let's say that there's like this edge case. So the player is trying to jump the pit. That's how we've been using that one. They're trying to jump the pit. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is like a 15. Okay. They roll a 13 or a 14. Do, do you, what do you, what do you do? Like, do you let them succeed? Like, well, in that case, something I know I talked about at some point in the past is succeed or failure at a cost. You know, something I stole from other games where I do this regularly. So this wouldn't wouldn't seem unusual to my players. If I were to say you need a 15 to jump the pit and they rolled a 13 or 14, I may say to them, you have an option. You can fail this roll and you're going to take all the consequences that come with failing this roll and jumping in and falling into the pit. Or you can f- succeed with a cost. Something that you're holding, you drop. Or you know maybe you don't catch the ledge, but you catch something like 10 feet down and so you're not going to fall and you're not going to die, but whoever you're chasing gets away. And I'm absolutely very comfortable with that. My players should be comfortable with that. It's, it's not, it wouldn't feel like a cheat because I don't think that's a cheat. I think that's just stealing from other games where you make kind of a bargain. And now if they were rolled a two, that's probably just, it is what yeah. it is. But if they get close, if they get within like a three or four range, I may offer them. And I always make it an offer. Like they can, they can say, no, I rolled this to jump. I failed. Let's just see what happens. Okay. We'll deal with that. But I will offer them an option of success at a cost and see if they go with it. So you say though, that you say that you are into fudging, All right, We know that you will occasionally fudge like the health of a monster or the health that you hit. But what about, do you fudge like, uh, difficulty, uh, challenges, like challenges? Do you fudge them? Not not really okay. that because um, because those are fun even if you fail. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Um, like and I and I tell again, I'm a very much pro, pro pro fudge, but I don't do it very often. Yeah, I really don't mm-hmm. because I've gotten to the point where I'm comfortable enough that I play so loosey goosey. I've got so many dob, knobs and dials that I can turn to adjust the difficulty. That fudging is just one of those, and it's like the last resort. So like the the fudges that I'm going to make when I roll behind the table, if I'm attacking a, a character and I, I know that if I roll max damage, that character is dead and I don't want the character to die here because it's just an ignoble death. It's, it's a meaningless death. And I don't think that would be fun. I would I would much rather that character get a death later then I will say I missed when I hit. Like I'll roll behind the dead screen. No one knows what I rolled. I'm like, oh man, got seven again. That's crazy. Or I'll, I'll hit, but I'll do minimum damage. And I won't like make up a number. I know that the ogre can't get, like I've already established the ogre does four plus 10 damage. I'm not going to say they do six damage because again, I've revealed behind the curtain something's wrong, but I'll be like, oh man, I rolled a one. So you take 11 versus I actually rolled 37. You know, that type okay. of thing. So I will absolutely fudge that. I will fudge my saves. So if someone's casting a spell, and this this happened in a game, it's been years, so I doubt anyone would know, but we were in a pretty prolonged battle, which is unusual for me, but we were in one, and the wizard had not been doing well. 
spells were not being, you know, not working or, you know, saves were being made. They, they were very ineffective. And it was kind of getting near the end of the battle where they, you know, they pretty much had it in the bag anyways. And the wizard tried a spell that would have like brought the end of like subdued the bad guy. And I rolled a really high save. I said they failed. I like, oh, it works. Describe to me what it looks like when you, you know, mind capture this this creature or this bad guy, whatever the case may was. Because I thought that would be more fun for that player to finally get to do something and contribute before the battle was over. Because it really wasn't going to affect anything. And I think, to, to go on just a little bit longer, that is by far the majority of when I fudge. It isn't, I don't want your character to die so they don't die. It's, it would be more fun if your character got yeah. to participate in this battle in this way, and to this point they haven't. So it's the, uh, you rolled a critical hit, you did 42 points of damage, but the ogre has 47. You killed the ogre. I'm going to pretend those other four hit points never happened because I think it's cooler for you to kill the thing with that critical hit. Uh, conversely, if your character has like a backstory where this enemy we're facing killed your brother and you're next in the order, and the person in front of you barely hits, does two points of damage, but technically the creature only had one left, it now has three left. I've done so that. You're gonna I've get done a, it. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a chance to go again. Now, here's the counter-argument. Yes, there can be drama that's mined from your character in-game feeling cheated. That we came here so I could avenge my brother and you, faceless monk number three, does a spinning back kick and kills this guy, knocks him off a cliff, depriving me of my revenge. That could be a fun story to mine. So I don't always do that, but I reserve the right to do that. So I may let that monk with a spinning back kick kill the anti-paladin just before it was your turn to go. Because that's a cool story to deal with how those characters deal with that. But if I don't think that would be a fun story because of the players, because of the situations, then I'm going to let them stay alive until you go and then you're going to get the last hit so that you get that moment. So there's no hard and fast always never, but I do reserve the right to do those things. Yeah, so I think that it's way easier to do that in D&D 5e because the way that there's a lot of rules... And a lot of the rules are meant to be, and they're very open about this. And whether you consider this good design or bad design, there there's a lot of stuff in there that like, oh, you don't need to do that, or things can be changed. Uh, it's not a very, I wouldn't call it a very static system in a system that's designed to be played rules as written. All right. And this is, uh, a lot of people do play it rules as written, but me looking at it, I don't, I think it's, it's more of a vehicle for uh, what you at the table want to get out of it. So... I think it's easier to fudge stuff in D&D 5e and but here's here's my thing. I have found uh fudging dice or trying to entertain players like yourself and I do like to do that but I have found that sometimes I just get burnt out, okay? So I have found that I have been really recently I haven't been fudging anything. Right? And I've been playing everything open on the table but that said we've been playing more static single success games in my home group so we've recently started playing uh forbidden lands and it's a that is a very hard system to fudge dice because you as the dungeon master you really aren't rolling a whole lot of dice it's the players who are who are rolling the dice and so with that said then 
since I'm not fudging dice, and this would be one of my arguments for not doing it, is I feel more like I am participating as a player in the game and not as a facilitator uh, with for my players. And I, and like I said, we do our Ghost Assault March, and I very much like to entertain my players. And I want to make sure that our plot gets driven. But for my home games, I've really found that I like to just sit back and let my players deal with the consequences of the dice. And I would, going back a couple of years, I would never run this type of game at all. Hmm. But I've been having a whole lot of fun with it. I don't know if it's just because for years I've done very similar games like you've describing, where you as the dungeon master, you are the entertainer. Uh, you want to make sure that the, the players are getting the most out of the system, but you're not really afraid to kind of maybe change some stuff to get the plot, keep the plot moving. Uh, but maybe it's just because it's a little bit different. I have just not been fudging right. and i maybe i who knows i may go back to that but right now i'm having a lot of fun just letting them deal with it well, and back to our model if you're having fun doing that then you're doing the right thing yeah like i would never go to someone and say if you don't fudge you're doing yeah. it wrong never would i say that i do sometimes get offended when other people try to tell me that i'm a bad dm because i fudge because i I don't believe that. I, I 100% do not believe because you not those people have not been at my table. They've not seen that. They always claim I'll I'll know if you're fudging. Maybe there are people who can watch a magician and every time like I know where the, I, I yeah. saw a palm at you know it's the Vinny from uh, my cousin Vinny situation. But I'm a big believer because I I tell my players like Brad and Rocky and Nick and Travis and Ryan they all know that I will fudge and I would guarantee not one of them could ever say for sure yes that's a time when michael fudged because i don't do it nearly as often as it probably seems like because i'm so vocally for it. it's very very rare but it does happen i just think that's a tool in my toolbox and i have had players you know leave my games having so much fun not knowing that i did manipulate things behind the scene i just think that's part of the job i think part of this is the types of games and the types of stories we tell yeah. with those games so forbidden lands is a game about consequences. Uh -huh. Like, it's very deadly. You're going to die. And I think going into that, you know that. And when it happens, it's like, oh, that was part of the fun. I died. I get to roll another character. But in D&D, your characters are kind of hard to kill. Exactly. You're and the so heroes of the story. You're heroes of the story. You build these elaborate backstories. You, you become invested in these characters. And then when they die... And what, again, what I would call an ignoble death, a senseless death because of random goblin number two, not at the final battle against the Lich King, it can seem sort of like, oh, you know, and, and there's something to that. There's a type of story you can tell about someone dying from like, a, a, you know, there's a very famous episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where the mom dies and it's just Buffy comes down downstairs. Her mom has had a stroke. She's dead on the couch. And it's drama. It's, it's a, it's a super impactful, but in D and D, I don't know that it's set up well to tell those types of stories where, you know, random goblin number four takes out the paladin. And now we have to deal with it. Cause what's going to happen is you're going to have a new character to show up in like 20 minutes because they're going to roll a new character. So I think those stories are told better, but there's an option to just say at session zero, ding, take a drink. Your characters aren't going to die in this game mm -hmm. unless you want them to. Yeah. Or at a pivotal story moment. Like, we can just set that rule. You're never going to die from a random goblin attack. But when you go to face, 
your arch villain, your nemesis, your rival, your twin brother who you didn't know you had. And in those battles, gloves are off. And if it happens, it happens. That's a perfectly acceptable way to play the game in my mind. So death, sure. No death, sure. Sometimes death, sure. Just be consistent and set those expectations again at that session that shall not be named. Yeah, I think that's, I got two things to say about that. The first thing is obviously how you, how much you fudge, whether you fudge or not, uh, how difficult you you wind up setting your, your skill challenges. It all depends on the tone of the game that you want to run. And I think that's very important. Like, I mean, with D&D, you said it, you're the heroes of the story. It's a very high fantasy-esque, you guys win kind of thing uh whereas like you said forbidden lands or a game like call of cthulhu or mothership it's not like that and failure is very much built into the it's baked into the cake there uh second thing i now have to put we now have to put a spoiler tag on this episode for you just spoiling buffy the vampire slayer okay the show is like 30 years old at this (laughs) point all right all right okay well regardless uh no but um yeah i think that's all yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, I think like most topics in role-playing games, it comes down to communicating with your players and not communicating with them right there at the table in the sense that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm about to fudge this so y'all, um, you're going to succeed. But it's more about understanding your players and that tone that you set at uh, at the beginning of your sessions or your session zero, uh, you take a drink, um, drink, take a drink. where uh, it's it's really just understanding your players and having that the, the, the safety tools you need so everybody's on the same page. You don't want to just be playing D&D and all of a sudden switch the tone over to Forbidden Lands. Is it? Right. Exactly. So, uh, so I, I think it's safe to say uh, communication is key once again. Absolutely. So, uh, so I think that kind of covers everything that you all talked about in that very first uh, dungeon talk, Michael. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if you there was anything else you you wanted to add to this conversation. I don't, I don't think so. I think again for this episode, we're, we're sitting around fifty minutes, and I think we do want to try to keep these mm-hmm. sub hour. Yeah. Uh, very excited to be back into this. I, I've said this many times before. Part of my hesitancy of doing more faculty meetings is I felt like I was just repeating the same things over and over again. And even though I do did still repeat a lot of the same things, it was framed a little bit differently. Yeah. And hopefully it comes across. I was excited about having this conversation. I kind of got into it. I got passionate. And I, if anything else that people might listen to our show for, I think one of those draws has been my passion for this stuff, my enthusiasm for it. And, um, getting to get back into that was nice. So I want to thank you because if anyone doesn't know, this was Tom's idea was to bring faculty meetings back and then to try to reframe them a little bit. Uh, So it was a conversation, but I think Tom's definitely the driving force here. So thank you, Tom, for getting me back into the seat. Uh, You are very welcome. Uh, Whenever I think about a time where I can talk, I am going to take it up. So, uh, no, that's that. I'm glad that we decided to do this, Michael. I'm excited to what we're going to be doing is sticking with sharing some news. And I will be working my way through the RPG Academy's backlog. Because don't don't forget, folks, I've only been around now for what, like four or five years. All right. So I got five years of RPG Academy podcast to still listen to. And I'm on this podcast. So I got a lot of catching up to do. 
So uh, we will be going forward. But until the meantime, this isn't to say we can't touch on new things. So as always, if you, the audience, have questions, comments, concerns, things you would like for us to discuss, if you have a situation you would like for us to talk about what we would would have done, whatever the case may be, you can email us in. The email is therpgacademy at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts on what we talked about today, please hit us up on Twitter or respond in the comment section of this episode when it posts or on Facebook or on Twitter because we're going to post it all there because we wouldn't keep doing the show if people didn't keep listening. So thank you to all of you out there doing that. Uh, We mentioned at the top of the show about the Twitch subscription. That is a way you can support us. If you have not yet left us a review on iTunes, please consider doing that. It does really help us get in front of new people. We've been around so long now that we've kind of fallen off the charts in a lot of cases, but if we get an influx of two, three, four reviews in a short period of time, we will get thrown back up on them for a little while. So some new reviews would be fantastic. If you are interested in supporting us financially, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. There are some patron-only things that you get access to, like a special channel on our Discord. We have a new series of podcasts that just recently came out. These are one-on-one personal chats between me and other patrons or other faculty. I'm absolutely loving these podcasts, and you can only hear them if you're a patron at any level. Uh, So please consider supporting us. Uh, Tom, one last time, where can people find you on the internet or anything else you like to say before we wrap up? No, absolutely. I think you covered it. You can follow me at BezkarTom on Twitter if you want to see what I'm up to. And I'm at the RPG Academy. And remember, folks, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. You're doing it right. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.